in November of 1988. I've just really gotten my feet wet in the industry. I don't know that much about the ink industry, only what I've researched and the fact that I am confident that I can run a business. I told the board that we were going to probably lose a penny a share. But they didn't want to do that because they thought it would tank the stock more than just a penny. So the board said, we don't want to be in the business anymore. And they said, look, either you can buy it or we're going to sell the whole ink division. So I had a week to make a decision on whether to buy this or not. Welcome to Breaking Down Boxes. I'm Gene Marino with Acres Packaging. And I'm Joe Morelli with Houston Patterson and Lewisburg Printing Company. We have compelling conversations with successful entrepreneurs in the packaging space. Thanks for joining us today. We're excited about today's guests. We have David and Rob Califf, BCM Inks. We're going to dig in a little bit to uh, some generational dynamics and two wonderful people that I've had the chance to spend some time with and put on the spot in the past. Excited to dig in. I think they got a really great story that a lot of listeners can relate to as far as family business and the transition of leadership from one generation to the next. I want to thank Oxbox for sponsoring this episode. Someone once wrote that the most sophisticated piece of equipment at Oxbox was the copier in the front office, but I can tell you that's all changed. With unmatched state-of-the-art, heavy-duty converting and finishing equipment, Oxbox is truly best-in-class when it comes to heavy-duty and jumbo box manufacturing. Check them out at www.oxbox.com. Oxbox is strength you can depend on. David, when I started, you were very kind to me and getting me into the industry. And when I look at you guys and how humble you are, you don't need to say a lot because your reputation precedes you as running such an excellent company. And I'm really excited to dig into the story. So I guess before we really get started, Rob, why don't you give us a couple minutes on what you guys currently do, who you service, where you're located, a general feel for what PCM is all about. Sure, I'd be happy to. We are a family-owned business specializing in high-intensity, environmentally correct, water-based inks for the corrugated flexographic market. We sell throughout North and South America. Our headquarters is in Cincinnati, Ohio, and we also have a second operation in uh, Monterey, Mexico, which we opened in 2019. That's great. And I think the story goes back to 1988, David, if I'm not mistaken, when you founded the company. But that's not necessarily the start of your career. How did you get started? What was your first job out of college? I graduated from Ohio State University. I won't tell you I'm a Michigan fan, by the way, David. Oh, no. <laughs> David, don't you have to now say the Ohio State University? <laughs> You're absolutely right. Okay, it I is the so. Ohio State okay. University. I graduated in 1972 from the Fisher College of Business majored in business administration with a major in management and a minor in marketing. I was hired directly from college by Procter & Gamble and graduated on Friday and started work on Monday. <laughs> Perfect. Doing what was your first job? My first job was in sales with the Folgers Coffee Division of Procter & Gamble. I was immediately sent to Toledo, Ohio, which gave me a lot of motivation to want to do the best job I possibly could to get promoted as fast as I could out of Toledo. No offense, <laughs> but I couldn't wait to get promoted from Toledo. I was a single male, and there wasn't that much going on in Toledo, Ohio. The mud hens, uh, that's about it, yeah, right? Triple A baseball. That's right, the mud hens, <laughs> exactly. I was very fortunate that I was assigned a territory that was a territory that was an expansion area for Folgers Coffee. So I had to learn about new product introductions. I had to learn how to market products against competitors that were firmly entrenched in the market and that 
pay dividends later on in my career. From Toledo, Ohio, I was promoted to Cincinnati, Ohio, and then continued on in various levels of management within Procter & Gamble. And I was always involved in pretty much new product introductions and also the fact that I was in territories that sometimes had to be expanded regionally. That again gave me great background to be able to progress in my career. Did yeah. you enjoy it at P&G? Were you having fun? It sounds like you were moving up in the organization that had to be exciting. I was, I was moving at a rapid rate. Yeah. I did enjoy basically every position I was in, and, but I always wanted to run my own company. Ever since I was a little kid, I wanted to run a company. I, I was very entrepreneurial. As a matter of fact, at the age of five years old, my father was a gardener and he planted a lot of vegetables and some fruits. And I saw going down our street was an individual with a fruit truck and he was stopping at various places along the way and selling fruits and vegetables to the neighbors. So I came up with a great idea. I didn't tell my father or my mother <laughs> to go and pick the tomatoes and the other fruits and put them in a basket and sell them two for a nickel to every one of our neighbors. That's outstanding. And I did pretty well. That's 100% profit. <laughs> exactly. Business. That's impressive. But that registered with me. Yeah. I said, maybe later on in life I could do this. And that wasn't the only thing I did. I could, I also would ride my bicycle to the drugstore and buy penny candy and then come back. Now the drugstore was more than two miles away. So I rode up, bought as much penny candy as I possibly could afford. And then I sold it to the kids in the neighborhood for a nickel. And so that Again, uh, I always wanted to be an entrepreneur. So when did those thoughts at P&G start creeping back into your mind as to think maybe your career path was going to be a little different? How many years after you joined? I was at P&G for 11 and a half years, and my final assignment was involved with the introduction of a new brand, which was called Citrus Hill, and it was an orange juice brand. And this was one of the first times that I had been involved in a product introduction or launch where there wasn't really a discernible difference between the product that we were introducing and the competition. So it created a real challenge. After we introduced the product into test markets, a headhunter contacted me about whether I wanted to leave Procter & Gamble and join another company that was based in Cincinnati that was in a totally different field but had a need for a marketing sales manager. And I said yes. So I moved on to a company that was very much budget oriented, taught me a lot about fiscal responsibility, and it was in the fashion industry mainly the little girl's fashion industry. I'm sorry, yeah. let me interject for a second. So this was also very embarrassing for me. Yes. <clears throat> because when I was a little child, then I had to go with my father, whenever we were at a department store, he would always be looking at the little You're girl's dresses. Little girl <laughs> and I would be hanging out with, all, with him and looking at the little girl's dresses. Oh my goodness. So what year is this? What are we talking about? Early 80s? This was about 1985. Okay. So Rob, you were four or five years old at the time? Slightly older, but thank you. I appreciate it. So I was around eight years old. Okay. That's a pretty big shift from consumer products to young children fashion. That Was it exciting to you? It was just... Everything I've done in my career, I've been excited about. That's interesting. And it was exciting because yeah. it was totally different. But this is something else. 
when I was involved in high school, I always wanted to be in fashion. I thought I'd be actually living in New York City and representing some company in the fashion industry. So this was my attempt at yeah. doing and that. And little girls' dresses are far away from... What, uh, during that time, were, your, were there still thoughts marinating in your mind about doing your own thing, or were you just so focused on... You had a young family at the time, I'm sure you're trying to... What was interesting, the company that I was with was a part of a large conglomerate based in the United Kingdom. And again, budgeting was extremely important to them on a monthly basis, on a quarterly basis, on a yearly basis. So that taught me quite a bit. I did ultimately want to own my own business. And what happened was a friend of mine bought a packaging company based in Montreal, Quebec. He lived in Cincinnati, Ohio, which is where I was living because of Procter & Gamble. He bought this company, wanted to expand it throughout North America, and that company specialized in metallized paper stock for the cosmetic, liquor, and cigarette industry. I went to that company, did a marketing study for them, and saw that there was a big opportunity to expand our product with wineries throughout North America. We got very fortunate in that one of our customers that we were able to sell was Ernest and Julio Gallo Wineries. They were introducing a new product called Bartles and James. Unreal. I don't know if you remember that. I do. This is seltzer before seltzer. That's right. Bartles and James made what we know today as all of the hard, hard alcohol drinks. That That's are, right. That are, that are carbonated. It was a carbonated wine that was booming. And Bartles and James wine coolers took off. Sales went through the roof. That's amazing. Wait, did you so leave the fashion business? I to, left to, the fashion business him? to join my friend. After I did that and with our business booming, we decided to take the company public. And I helped put together the prospectus with the attorneys. Uh, and we went public on NASDAQ and the Montreal Stock Exchange. It's incredible. How old were you at the time? I was 37 at the time. And did you have any ownership in that company or were you? I employed? did. I you had. Did quite a few stock options. That's that very cool. Up. And that'll lead me to how we ended up getting involved yes. into the ink industry. So we became a public company. As a public company, you have to always please your shareholders and you could be growing at 20% per quarter and some shareholders are not happy about that. So we were looking for ways to further grow our business and we noticed and i noticed that one of the companies that was supplying us with varnishes and lacquers that were being used for the label stock for the cigarette cartons was a company called bcm inks and we looked at the financials and decided to vertically integrate the company we bought bcm inks so we bought this company and the public company wanted to know, now that we've bought them, are there any other ways to expand the business? Once the public company purchased BCM Inc's Canada, they put me in charge of the ink division. And that was because of my previous background at Procter & Gamble in sales and marketing. I was able to look at the company and see where there were growth opportunities, how we could expand the business further. One of the things I learned from my previous experience at Procter & Gamble, that if your product has a discernible difference and you can present that convincingly to the marketplace, that you have a positive in growing a new product. 
one area that I examined closely was that the ink company had formulations for an environmentally correct, environmentally friendly water flexo printing ink for the corrugated display and packaging industry. I noticed that the products offered enhanced gloss, better color intensity, and better rub resistance than current products in the marketplace. This was definitely a discernible difference. And when I asked the BCM Inc.'s management why they weren't marketing the product, they said, because A, we don't have any experience doing this, and B, it takes a different manufacturing process than the existing offset inks that they were currently producing. As I dug further into it, I noticed that the products were formulated by a company that was based in Bonn, Germany. That was owned by the Heusch family, of which Christian Heusch, who is now a leading consultant in the corrugated market with Arch Incorporated, was the son of the owner. So it shows you how small the corrugated industry is. Christian was working as an apprentice <laughs> in Canada at one of the two ink plants of VCM inks. And I was introduced to him, went over to Germany to see the German ink operation saw what they had to do, saw that they were very environmentally friendly as far as how they had the operation set up, the products they were using, and Chris helped us start up the U.S. operation in Cincinnati, Ohio. We modeled it after his father's business in Bonn, Germany. The other thing that happened too is the product was able to produce a print that was similar to offset printing. So it was a major improvement in the marketplace. We could use flexo printing to produce an offset quality type product. As part of the introduction of this new product in North America, we partnered with OEMs who were introducing their new flexo presses into North America and wanted a water flexo ink that was environmentally correct that could print a product that was similar to offset printing. Our product was able to do that. So we had close partnerships with the OEMs and just tied detergent in the washing machine we worked with the OEMs to have BCM inks delivered to the customers when they installed a new Flexo press. And then the only other thing is, as part of the installation and operation of these new presses, a major portion of this was training. Education is extremely important at BCM Inks. It's one of our top priorities, and that's because we believe that an educated customer is a great customer. So we got involved with training and education at a very early part of our development of BCM Inks USA Incorporated. And we have continued to do that today as we are a partner with the AICC and their packaging education program. And so BCM Inks has been a, a longtime supporter of AICC and an education investor in the, in the association. How did you get involved in AICC and, and why is it important that you support it like you do? I got involved with the AICC almost immediately after bought the company because our niche market was high graphic flexo printing inks and I immediately learned that the independents seemed to be 
much more acceptable to new products, new ideas than some of the integrated. So directed our sales to the independent. And the AICC has been terrific. I can't say enough about the people that we've met over the years and how much they've helped us build our business and just the friendships. It's been great. What does an, an education investor provide? BCM is proud of being an education investor. We were one of the first ones to join the AICC as an investor and feel it is very important to give back to the industry and to train individuals so they become better at what they do, as well as also in turn becomes makes that company that they're working for even greater. We've also been focused on training and education, not only for our customers, but also for our own employees and for the industry as a whole. So the course is about water-based flexographic inks, it's both in English and in Spanish. That's great. The AICC recently launched the machine primer course on the Packaging University, and we have the Ink Kitchen modular on there. So we highly recommend for you to go, if you want to learn about an ink kitchen, color matching, and the whole process from A to Z, highly recommend that you go see that course. We're there just to help to train individuals so they will have better knowledge. Eventually, they can become experts in what they do. So you've received the approval to execute on this business plan. You're in Cincinnati. You've got all these parts moving at one time. The public company calling you up going, what the hell is going on in Cincinnati? Here's the rest of the story. Yeah. I put together a budget and had that approved by the board. Again, we're a public company. And in November of 1988, I told the board that we were going to probably lose a penny a share. The board didn't want to hear that, <laughs> even though I had presented previously. It was in the budget. It was in the budget, right. <laughs> but they didn't want to do that because they thought it would tank the stock more than just a penny. Yes. You know? So I've just really gotten my feet wet in the industry. I don't know that much about the ink industry, only what I've researched and the fact that I am confident that I can run a business. So the board said, we don't want to be in the business anymore. I said, what? Okay. And they said, look, either you can buy it or we're going to sell the whole ink division. Offset and your startup. Right. Yes. So I had a week to make a decision on whether to buy this or not. Can you explain that week to us and maybe th some of the thoughts that were going through your mind, like the pressure, and you have a small family at home at the time? I have two sons at home. Yeah. I have Rob and his brother is two years older than him. My wife which I'm very fortunate, her father was a general contractor. So he was a third generation business person. So she had an understanding of what it's like to run a company and to have some, a father who was basically busy all the time sure. running a business. But coming home to her and saying, look, We've got to make a decision on a major investment here in a week, and I've got to put basically everything on the line. All the, the stock options and everything, everything that's all in. How old are you? I was 38 years old. Wow. And Rob, do you re remember this time? I absolutely remember this time <laughs> because we actually were in Phoenix in Scottsdale for during a winter break, December 1988. And the Philadelphia Eagles happened to be practicing in Phoenix because they thought it was going to be warmer in Phoenix than back in Philadelphia. Lo and behold, it actually ended up being the coldest time period, <laughs> I think, like maybe ever in Phoenix's history <clears throat> while we were there. You could see everyone's breath. 
and uh, we, were, we were trying to see like Randall Cunningham yeah. and some of those players. And in the meantime, my father was on the phone wow, in the stop. hotel room all the time, talking with my grandfather, talking with banks, and et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, that's wild. I had committed already to the family vacation over yes. the winter break, and we had to complete the sale by the end of the year. So I'm with my accountant, my attorney. I'm trying to get everything set in the proper perspective as far as the terms of the agreement. And we ended up coming to an agreement on December 29th, 1988. We signed the papers and I became the 100% owner of BCM Inc's USA Incorporated. Shortly after my father bought BCM, he ended up going now to grocery stores and looking at the boxes, trays, and display pieces and moving the products around just so we can get to the bottom of the boxes, we can lift it up to see search stamps. While this was embarrassing for me, it was not nearly as bad as looking at the little girl's dresses. And <laughs> to make it full circle, I'm actually now, when I go to the grocery store, am looking at the search stamps, making my kids feel a little embarrassed as well. <laughs> you just spent all this time trying to get this done, and now you've got to run this business. And now right, you and I, comm thing. I committed probably the number one sin in business, which is buying a business that you know hardly anything about. <laughs> wow. So I had to learn very quickly. Was there any rem like buyer's remorse in that week afterwards or were you just I so focused so on? I was so swamped and yeah. so over my head that I didn't have time to think about that. I had to work fast because look, we had just set up the operation. We basically had maybe 10 customers that were just trialing our product. They weren't using it on a regular basis. And- You're a startup. You just it, bought a startup. I bought a startup. And you're scratching your head a little bit. And we but had- you slept like a baby for the first- Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I slept in my office. I believe it. We had to ensure that our supply chain was working properly. Everything was flowing. There were so many issues, but we got through it. I had a lot of good people advising me. And one was I had a great accountant, a great tax attorney. And then I had befriended people in the industry, and I'm talking about in the ink industry through BCM Inks Canada that helped me and also the Hoish family was a big help. It's amazing. So the, the hard part is we've got a lot we want to dig into for our main topic, but I guess one, one question I would have, so after the first full year, so if you fast forward to the end of December 89, what did you accomplish by that point? By the end of December, the first year we were making money and we were on the I would say the leading edge in the high graphic water flexo printing inks for the direct print industry. That's awesome. In that first year, you said you had 10 people trialing your inks. Did you have customers at the time? Or was it just the people trialing they the inks? They ended the up becoming. Who was your first customer? You Our first customer was Chesapeake in Winston-Salem, which eventually the general manager there was an individual named Jim Einstein, and he ended up starting up two years after that a company called Alliance Display in Winston-Salem, which was bought by Westrock and is still a part of Westrock today. But he was very much on the cutting edge of wanting to produce multicolor packages and displays for the industry. And he was our first customer. That's, That's neat. That's it's just amazing 
Because too, I graduated high school in 87. You're old schooling. This is not going to Google and downloading some data off of some spreadsheets to determine what markets look like. And this is hard research. This is phone calls. This is interviews. This is feet on the street. It's, it, you make it sound simple. And I think that there has to be an appreciation for just how challenging it was to do that sort of stuff. I think you'd have a really nice future, Dave, if you wanted to come to work as an intern this summer. Could I hire you for 16 to 20 no, I'm an hour? Done. Cincinnati, Cincinnati based. Right. I'll get you there a nice little office. <laughs> it's truly, it is a lost art. And people don't realize what you did at that time. You understand. Oh my gosh, unbelievable. I think you hit on it earlier with your family vacation in Phoenix as you were going through the whole thing. But I think so many people in this industry, they look at independent company owners and think it's glorious and it's great and everything's wonderful. And you set your salary and you have vacation when you want to set your vacation. But how much stress you're under during those crisis moments? How many vacations were you on during that time where you're not truly on vacation and you're on the phone? I think is you guys can probably speak to it more so than me, but it's a hell of a commitment to start your own business. And right, I'm sure the stress the is incredible. Stress didn't affect me at all. That's why I don't have any hair. Yeah. <laughs> 87, there was just a full I had a full on, head yeah, of hair. I, believe I can tell you it turned gray rather rapidly and I did start losing my hair. <laughs> you get the company up and running in 89. You got a couple of customers coming in the early 90s. How long until you really felt comfortable and really good about your position at BCM? I don't think you ever really feel comfortable. Even today, I still yeah. look and say, okay, you can never get comfortable That's as far awesome as I'm answer. The thing that we enjoy about these interviews is so many nuances are similar, but at the same time, so many are different. And there's just that there's just this belief in self and a passion for owning and operating, turning something into your very own that still comes through when you tell the story how many years later. It's pretty exciting. And of course, now it's easy street. So Rob <laughs> graduates and gets to come into this business. I'm kidding. Oh, right, exactly. <laughs> I'm kidding. So you've grown up I, in 88. How old were you when the business is started? 11 years old. Okay, so I'm sure there's some summers where you're running around getting into stuff you're probably not supposed to. Yeah, it really started more when I was, I think, in between my junior and senior year of high school. And my first ever job at BCM was to paint the fence. <laughs> Perfect. And I was paid very nicely. And so I obviously took my grand old time to paint that fence since I was paid hourly. True 15 year old employee. This was a two week job that he turned into a summer long. Perfect. <laughs> Perfect. Then after I graduated from high school that summer before college, I worked in production and again just realized how difficult it was for all the production employees, hot, humid, and just the running around, producing all these batches of inks and what goes on. So after that, I decided I had no interest yeah, okay. in ever being involved with the business and living in Cincinnati again. Interesting. Uh, lo and behold, a few years later, I was back in. His older brother also worked in production and he made the same decision. He didn't want <laughs> yeah. to anything to do anything it. to do with it. He huh. ended up going to college out on the West Coast and staying on the West Coast. Yeah, my, my brother did. So you come in on a full-time basis. I'd like to I'd like to explore. You had said, hey, I want nothing to do with this. Does yes. dad change your mind or do you approach him and say, you know what, I need a change? Actually, my father approached me. After I graduated from college, which I went to the University of Florida, graduated there in 99, and then it was the dot-com boom. So I moved out to the San Francisco Bay Area and I worked for a couple different startup internet companies. So I was there during the boom and then the bust. And so after the bust happened, and then I was wondering, okay, what to do? And so my father approached me and said, hey, we're actually gonna have a meeting with all the sales technical representatives from BCM in the Los Angeles area. They're gonna go visit a customer there. And my brother was living in Los Angeles. So he actually invited both of us if we wanted to go into the business. My brother said, no, I don't have any interest. I said, Sure, I'll just, I'll come down for the meeting and also spend time with the family. Just, I'll ask some questions and 
find a little bit more from some of the other sales technical representatives too. And the other person who was involved with this was Chris Hoysh because Chris was a consulting for my father at the time. And so they had some conversations of, hey, should my brother and I get involved with the business? So that's why my dad asked me. And like I said, came down. I enjoyed my time. I thought it was very interesting, just learning what they're doing. It was almost more of a consultative type of work sure. and having to solve issues and problems, et cetera. So I said, sure, I will join the company. So I actually joined in uh, June of 2001. And Dave, what was, had that thought been going through your mind of asking your sons to be a part of the business for a, a, well, some time? I was already looking at succession plan mm -hmm. at that time, even though I knew it was going to be a few years off, or at least I hoped it was going to be a few years into the future. And part of the planning was that I would see whether one of my sons wanted to go in to the business. And if they didn't, then I had to go to plan B, which was hire somebody else with the intention that individual could end up becoming the owner of the company. At least that's how I was looking at it. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, Rob was capable of doing the job, knew that. In 01, you knew that? I okay. knew that in 01, based but, on his past experience with leadership positions and high school and college, he had the capabilities to handle leadership and to grow what I thought the company should be. So when he comes, when you come back, Rob, and now in your mind too, do you guys sit down and create a formal plan or is it more organic? My father presented to me essentially, here's like your first year of what you're gonna be doing. Interesting. And I had to spend some time in really all aspects within the company, production, lab, accounting, customer service, et cetera, et cetera. So just do it. here was the plan was laid out for me. Then afterwards, I was gonna go into the sales technical. When I first uh, joined the company, I was introduced to the AICC and I, again, everyone was very friendly, opened their arms and everything and kind of welcomed me into the association. But I was definitely the youngest person by far. <laughs> it was me and a lot of people with gray hair. It's been a very nice thing over the course of time, the younger generation to also get involved in the association and in the industry. And I think the Emerging Leaders Group, which I kind of emerged out. <laughs> I was at the, the tail end of my, my age group there. But anyway, I think that's a fantastic opportunity for young leaders to be involved with the association and to grow within the industry. Absolutely. How were you received at BCM? Were you still the punk kid that was painting the fence for two or three months? Or were you have a little credibility behind you at this point? It was interesting because some people accepted me and realized, oh, this is the future. Yeah. Other people were a little hesitant saying, oh, he's just in here because obviously he's the son of the owner and he needs to prove himself. And then there was another individual who was the vice president at the time, who was actually the person who was wanting to then take over the business. Mm -hmm. He saw the writing on the wall, so he elected to leave shortly after I joined the company. Yeah. So in this year, love the roadmap. I'm a huge fan of that. Were you having any sort of formalized meetings or more informal about you querying Rob on, tell me about what you're working on and how it's going? Or, tell me about it, that. It was extremely formal because yes. my background from Procter & Gamble, you have a training program that's laid out very specific by week, by month, by year. And the roadmap is here's what we're going to accomplish by the end of one month. Here's what you're going to end up doing by six months. And we're going to be sitting down talking about whether you're hitting these benchmarks, whether you're achieving what needs to be done. I love it. Very formalized 
program. And the training also included spending some time at uh, customer locations and just getting my hands dirty by the presses. Also spent some time with some of the suppliers too, where they would take me into their R&D labs and show me how they're making some of the polymers and everything. Well, you alluded to it earlier about that consultative nature of what you do. There is a technical aspect to it that has to be understood and communicated to the customer. And so now you finish this training and now you're out on the road selling. That really start to open your eyes into kind of the dynamic of how you fit into the supplier-customer relationship? Sure, most definitely. And again, just trying to figure out, okay, now I'm in a new role of selling, which I didn't really have to do before in either my jobs at, with the startup internet company. So that was also kind of learning how to break open doors and sell, as well as, like I said, had to prove myself to some of the employees within BCM. And once I made that first sale and they saw that I was committed to the company, then things started to, I think, relax a little bit. My wife, Tanya's words of advice to me when I was getting into my family business was, you got to sell the internal employees harder than you actually have to sell your clients in the field to get that respect internally. So I, I think that's what you're alluding to there a little bit as well, is you really had to prove yourself sure, to get definitely. that credibility. What, were, was there a line that you guys drew outside of work where you still had a father-son relationship outside of work, or was it always shop talk all the time? No, it was hardly ever shop talk outside of work. It was within the walls of BCM, but if it wasn't a business trip or we weren't within BCM, it was family time. That's important. I think that it has a tendency to bleed even if you're not related, where it just always seems to revert to the company, the business, what have you. So it's good that you, you've maintained that. Your comment about committed, we're at Corrugated Week for Tappy AICC and Steve York spoke this morning and he was talking about uh, ham and eggs for breakfast. And he said, the eggs are a contribution, but the ham is a commitment. <laughs> Hogs and hens, he called it. People wanna see that. They wanna see you're the real deal. And I think you're under a greater spotlight than say an employee. 100%. Yeah. It's a different ballgame. Were there, Dave, were there times in that first year and a half where you have obviously a real high expectation, I assume, for Rob, where you had to sit down with him and say, hey, let's grind a little harder, or this is your expectation level, or was it pretty natural during that first year? Rob was motivated yeah. to do a good job, and I think it has to do maybe somewhat with his basketball background. I thought you were going to say your parenting skills. <laughs> <laughs> that too, of course. But def definitely, I think, because being involved in athletics and you have to accomplish this goal to get better. And so he was always motivated to do the job and not only do it well, but to do it exceedingly. We're going we're gonna to fast forward a little bit without certainly taking away any of Rob's accomplishments in the business, but give me some perspective of when Rob really starts to take on more and more responsibility in the business and you begin this mental exercise of your level of involvement. Is that also a formal discussion? How does the transfer of power, for lack of a better phrase, begin to formulate in your mind or collectively with the two of you? What happened was I sat down with our tax attorney, and this was when I was about 55, to talk about estate planning. And when we started talking about estate planning, one of the questions was, what's gonna happen with the company? And I said, I'd probably like to work another 10 years you know, my son, Rob, I feel can take over the company and we can transition to him. How do we go about doing this without unfavorably impacting his older brother? I didn't want to cause any family friction. Yeah. And the attorney said, let's value the company as of now. And then at that valuation, we'll start transferring the stock to Rob. And then for, as far as his brother is concerned, his brother will receive equal assets, the equivalent of what the valuation of the company was 
on that same date. Interesting. So you talk about committed. You're all in. I'm all in. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's the legal side, right? Now right. what is happening from an operational perspective? Now you've had this conversation, right? First of, first of all, I had to have a conversation with the family. Yes. And that's extremely important that we got it out there. Here's what's going to happen so that his brother doesn't have any animosity or feelings towards Rob that would be negative, which I couldn't imagine that. But anyhow, just to be open about it sure. and to get a conversation going right now. And we were all on board. And my brother That's and I great. were on board. That's great. And then, then the other part was, okay, it's time for Rob to move into other aspects of the business besides just being a sales technical rep. And he ended up becoming the operations manager. And from there, you got a lot of great experience. Were there moments where were you nervous at that time? Or did you have visions in your mind of eventually taking over the business and ownership? Of course, I had visions of taking over the business. Mm -hmm. you know, it's, that was part of the reason why I joined the company. But at that time, it was really more of my father presented to me saying, hey, all right, now it's time to move you from the sales technical rep. You're being promoted to the vice president and COO position. Uh, so I had that position for you know, maybe about five years or so, and then eventually became president. Were people still, were the employees fully committed to you at this point as you started to promote your way through the company, or were there still at that point, some yes. skeptics? At that point, yes. Because, again, I had been there long enough. I'd been with the company for about around 10 years. Oh, okay, yeah, plenty so, of time during your so respect. plenty of time, exactly. Yeah. During COVID, which was in the very beginning, a very difficult time, not only for us, but for, I think, every company around the world, because it was a pandemic that nobody had experienced before. And we didn't know if you're going to be open, closed, et cetera, and everything was changing on a rapid basis. So during the first few days, we figured out that we were going to be an essential business. However, we ended up having the front office workers work from home, which included my father as well. And so when we decided to bring everyone back from the front office, my dad and I had a conversation. And at that point, because we had a few individuals who were sharing some office space, we said from a safety standpoint, it makes sense for them to have their own offices. So what that also meant is for me to take over my father's office. So I think at that point, uh, my father realized he is a non-essential worker in an essential workplace. I got kicked out of the corner <laughs> office. Talking about succession plans. <laughs> but then also with me taking over your office, it also solidified me as the president of the company and everyone within the company recognized, all right, this is now Rob's company moving forward, not David's company. It's interesting because I think you, you're approaching, you approached it so practically. I think there's um, there's a lot of examples of, I, I'm not trying to say impractical for others, but where the founder just really wants to hold it until the very end and your planning and your preparation is a smart way to approach this and be a little more objective about the business, which is often treated like another child. You've you created it and you've, you're raising it and it becomes its own being. And I just, I commend you on trying to be thoughtful about what happens with succession and generational transfer and things like that for one in the business and one out of the business. Yeah, it's, it's a dynamic situation. I've always wanted to be somebody that didn't just always work in the business and take a, an approach that there's other things that I can get involved with too. And there's a lot to do in life, and such as babysitting my grandchildren. I saw the transition as something that was critical and needed to be done. Let's have it be done while, God willing, I've still got good health and I can see that my son is doing a great job and I can just step away from the business and enjoy life. And I guess, Rob, as you're starting to navigate your own path into leadership, are there 
things that you're finding out on your own versus maybe something that you've learned from your dad over the years or is there? Sure, I learned quite a bit from my father and a lot of those things that, that he taught me are still obviously instilled today and gonna continue through the lifetime of the company as well. And some of those things are just stick with a niche, all right? We make water-based inks for the corrugated market. Even though our inks work well, it could work well for narrow web, wide web, et cetera. That's not our expertise. So just stick with your niche and do it extremely well. And that's where we are. We're experts in what we do. That's one. Another one is just hire excellent employees. So I'm there to support them. We empower them to do their jobs, do it extremely well. And then, like I said, my main position is just to support them they do a fantastic job out there. I learned from my father, strive to have the best customer service. So we're not comparing ourselves to other ink companies, we're comparing ourselves to just companies throughout the world. And how can we become the best at what we do with regards to customer service? And that is instilled within all of our employees. I tell them all the time, I'm not paying you the customers are paying. That's great. Something else is just again to be ethical in your decisions because you know, you're gonna look at yourself in the mirror on a daily basis. Constantly innovate, right? We can never be satisfied with where we are. We're not the largest company in the world. We are a small family owned business. So therefore we need to make ourselves different. And one of the ways to make ourselves different is to always innovate and be on the bleeding edge. Very cool. How do you, I'm assuming as you take on more and more responsibility, president, and I'm assuming as you, I wouldn't say fade into the sunset, but as you get <laughs> I, out I am. of, as you try to get out of the day-to-day, -day, I'm assuming you've had to hire some key personnel in the sure. organization as you develop your team. You get any feedback from Dave on that? Or is he involved in that process as maybe like a sanity check for you? It's been fortunate enough that he's actually kind of said, all right, you know what, Rob, here you go. Here's the company. You do what you want to do. With that being said, he is there if I want to ask him any questions. And he might have questions for me every once in a while. And so he's just a springboard. So therefore, when I am hiring somebody, hey, here's the individual that I'm looking at hire. Here's what I think is positive about this individual. Here's some of the question marks. What's your opinion? That's great. Uh, and he doesn't have to do that. He doesn't have to come to me and ask my opinion. But fortunately, we have the good enough relationship that he wants to. And Regardless I, of the father-son, the trust brings clarity. So he comes to you with those things, and this is my perception. But what I'm hearing from you both is, and you don't say, why are you doing that? So there's a trust that I think you, you move into positions of responsibility and you believe that early on in my career, I was guilty of this. I believe that a question and being vulnerable meant I didn't have the answer and that would be problematic. And that's not the case. The case is I don't know the answer. I want some guidance and support. Mm -hmm. And I think you guys are demonstrating that he's there for you when you need him. And you can go with questions without feeling like your dad's going to say, how could you not know that? You've been here since 2001. Most definitely. And also a lot of times he wants me to learn by my own mistakes. Yeah. I make my own decisions, and you live and learn with it. Yeah, we asked you what you learned from your dad, but have you learned anything from working with your son? I've definitely learned patience, to be more patient. I've <laughs> learned about technology. Yeah, yeah I, I'm as technical. Yeah, we, we did, right, right, we, we did see the you're Zoom right call. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I've learned how to better handle people and celebrate victories. Rob is all about that he's great with people. And that's something that, again, I wasn't always as good as he is. That is a unique insight because we've had a couple of guests where they're, what advice do you have for the, neck, the younger generation? And they'll say, you need to be patient. But it's interesting in this dynamic that you've gained some of that experiential awareness through your son. That's mm -hmm. really cool. What sort of advice could you share with a business going through what, what you've gone through, maybe some recommendation, whether that's bringing in next generation, whether that's succession planning, what tips or advice would you give? 
Well, the first tip I would give was make sure you have the best accountant and the best tax attorney possible and have a good relationship with them. Secondly, start your succession planning almost as soon as you feel that you're ready to do that, which hopefully is sooner rather than later. I actually started the succession planning when I bought the company and started it because I dispersed stock at that time to both Rob and his brother, thinking that maybe one or both of them would get involved with the business. So start thinking about that immediately. That should be something that's on your agenda as much as how are you going to accomplish your goals and objectives that you set for the year. This is long-term planning, and you need to plan long-term. Third is make sure you have the right training program for the individuals. It's not just bringing in your son or daughter and saying, okay, I'm making you a vice president, <laughs> and everybody in the company is going to be accepting of that, and your son or daughter is going to be comfortable in that. You have to have, in my opinion, a formalized training program. And then the other thing is, as I said, we've got to plan and be flexible in executing that plan because things aren't going to go always the way you think they are. So be flexible, be willing to make changes, and then go forward. Rob, what about from your perspective as the next generation, what advice would you give to people in your shoes as the succession plan? Hopefully you have a wonderful father or mother (laughs) (laughs) that is very understanding and wants to actually provide the knowledge to you and transfer their experience to you and be your mentor, as well as knowing when to also say, you're doing a good enough job, but we're going to promote you into this next position. And then saying, all right, I'm willing to take a step back and here are the keys, Yeah, go run with it. Yeah, And not necessarily interfere on a daily basis to say, all right, I trust what you do. My father has grown the business, done an exceptional job, but has also then entrusted me to now take it from where it is now to beyond. One of the things that we do that's very important in my opinion is we have a vision tracker organizer that we put together. Rob determines what the goals and objectives are for year one, then looks at three years out, and then does some big picture 10 years from now. What's the company gonna look like and what do we have to do to achieve that? And it's all formalized every single year. So at the end of the year, I sit down with Rob and just we just talk about how'd we do? Yeah. And what do we need to do going forward? Joe and I have explored this in previous discussions. You're just you're able to disentangle yourself from the business. There's more to Dave Califf than BCM Inks. And there's no right or wrong answer. I just would argue it's extremely more challenging to exit the business, whether it's to a third party or a next generation, when your personal and professional have become so intertwined that there is no longer a separation. It is 24-7, the fiber of your being. And I think it's okay to, it's either, it's not some or none. That is something that changes with its dynamics, but your ability to disentangle, I think, is an important aspect to who you are as a human and what you choose to enjoy versus 95 years old being wheeled out from, from behind <laughs> well, a stack right. of purchase orders. Right. Yeah, so I commend you on that. I think that my father also trusts me in what I do. Right? Sure. So therefore, by having that 100% trust in me, that he can then say, all right, I'm going to go play golf today. Yeah. I'm going to go watch the grandkids. I'm going to go do this. Or I might come into the office for a few hours. I might make some phone calls, might do some volunteering, whatever it may be. He has free reins of how he wants to go throughout his day, his week, his life. That's great. How, 
Gene and I both have children, and I know you have young children as well, and we're all proud of our kids, obviously, but explain in your mind how proud you are to work side by side with your son. I can't think of anything better than working alongside a son or a daughter, and the fact that Rob has been successful even makes me more proud of what he's been able to accomplish and I think what he's going to accomplish in the future. So it's the best. Cool. That's great. I think you guys obviously have a lot to be proud of in your lives and BCM Inks is an incredible company that we've respected for a really long time and congratulations to you both. Breaking down boxes. New shows will drop the first Monday of every month. Remember to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen to podcasts.